Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. When I was um, 18 years old, I was not in a very good place. To be honest with you, I was making unwise decisions and I was living a self-destructive lifestyle. One night I was out in Charleston, South Carolina with some of my friends and we were doing some of the things that we didn't need to be doing. And because of the decisions we made, one of my friends got deathly sick. It was my my fault. And as I was sitting there beside his bed, as he was lying there sick, God began to deal with my heart. I, I realized that I was messing up my life and if I continued down the path that I was going, something horrific could happen to me or happen to one of my friends. And and I left the room sitting beside his bed and I went out by a pond and I literally fell face down by that pond just crying out to God. I asked God to forgive me of all my sins. I told him I was tired of running from him. I was sorry for rebelling against him and, and I made a commitment that, Lord, if you will forgive me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And after I prayed that, I felt God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's mercy in an incredible way. The next morning, I wanted to call my mom because my mom had been worried about me. And and I wanted to call and let her know that I was okay. And this was before the day of cell phones. And so I had to find a landline. And I went to that landline. I called my mom. and, And I said these words to her. I said, Mom, I'm okay. And my mother on the other side of the phone said, I know. That was a little disconcerting. Were you in the room with me? Were you hiding in the woods out there behind, beside that pond? What, What was going on? And I said, Mom, I don't understand. How do you know? And she said, well, last night I couldn't sleep and I was praying for you. And around 2 o'clock, God spoke to my heart. And God told me that you were okay. And so I know you were okay. I am so thankful for a praying mother who never stopped praying for me. Let me fast forward several years. I'd answered God's call to preach. I was in graduate school preparing myself for the ministry. And um, I was pastoring my first church. I was, only, I was only 22 years old. I was a young guy, didn't know anything. And, and we brought this speaker into our church. His name was Pat Perry. He was an evangelist. And Pat was a, a really good and gifted evangelist. But more than that, Pat was a prayer warrior. Pat prayed for one to three hours every single day. And after I met Pat and got to know Pat, Pat committed to pray for me and to pray for my wife, Sherry. After We were together that week. He said, Rocky, I want you to know that every single day I'm going to be praying for you and for Sherry. And every time I saw Pat after that, I would see him several times a year. Every time I would see Pat, he would say, I want you to know I prayed for you and Sherry this morning. After Jonathan was born, he added Jonathan to that list. And when I would see Pat, he would say, Rocky, I want you to know that I prayed for you and Sherry and Jonathan this morning. When Mary Beth was born, he added Mary Beth to the list. And when I would see him, he would say, I want you to know I prayed for you and Sherry and Jonathan and Mary Beth this morning. And it went on through each of our children. I am so thankful that I had a friend who committed to pray for me 
and my family every day. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, praying for one another. We're in week four of a nine-part series trying to, to figure out how we are to live in relationship to one another as part of the family of God. And we've already discovered that we are to be devoted to one another. We're to be committed to one another. We're not to give up and, and step out on people. We're to stay with people in the good and the bad, in the good times and the bad times. We discovered that we are to encourage one another. That word means to lift up. We're not to tear down. We are to build up. Last week we discovered that, that we are to accept one another. And it doesn't mean we accept everything that every person does because Jesus didn't do that. But the passage says we're to accept one another in regard to disputable matters. And there are disputable matters in life. There are things where you and I can disagree on in regard to our personal preferences and our personal convictions. But these things aren't biblical rights and wrongs. But today I want us to talk about what I believe is probably the most important of all. And that is to pray for one another because when you pray for another person you're taking their hurts and their pains you're taking their needs and their problems you're taking their struggles before almighty God and only God has the power to intervene and change any and every situation you see there may be someone who can step into your life and and help you with a financial need but they're not going to be able to help you with every financial need. And there may be someone who can step into your life and help you with a medical need. But there are some medical needs that are beyond the ability of medical people to take care of. But what we need to understand is when we go before God for other people, we are going to the only being that has the power to change any and all situations. Samuel Chadwick, who was born in 1860, said this. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Evan Roberts, who was a revivalist, who was born in 1878, said, prayer, based on God's word, is the only weapon that is effective against Satan. Mark Batterson, who is pastor today of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., has written a book called Prayer Circles. And in that book, Prayer Circles, he says this, in the grand scheme of God's story, there's a footnote behind every headline, and that footnote is prayer. And James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in the first century, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person Avails much. And so with that said, let's look and see what James said about praying for one another. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Listen to what God's word says. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Pray for each other. Pray for one another. That word pray or prayer is found seven times in these six verses. It seems as if as James is closing out this epistle, as he's closing out this letter, he's telling us the most important thing that you and I can do for one another is to pray. And to be honest with you, this morning, I don't think I need to convince you of the effectiveness of prayer. I think every one of us in this room probably believe that prayer is effective. What we need to do is discover how to pray effective prayers, and then we need to just do it. We need to pray. And there is no one more qualified other than Jesus himself to teach us about prayer. James was nicknamed Old Camel Knees. And the reason he was nicknamed that is because his knees were all calloused and swollen because he spent so much time in prayer. And so as we look at these six verses, I want us to answer three questions that James answers about about prayer that I believe can help you have an effective prayer life as you pray for one another. First of all, when should we pray? And the answer is we should pray at all times and in all situations. We should pray in all times and in all situations. Paul said pray without ceasing. In other words, never stop praying. And so the Bible teaches that that you and I need to have a specific time when we pray. We need to have our prayer closet. But we always need to be in a spirit of prayer where we are ready to pray. This morning, one of my my dear friends, a, a, a committed part of our church family, as they were walking by, I noticed that they seemed to be hurting. I said, are you okay? And they told me what was wrong and... And instead of moving on because I had a moment, I said, well, let's pray. And we got together, and right then and right there, we prayed about the needs in their life. You see, you need to pray without ceasing. You need to be in a spirit of prayer so that when a prayer need comes open to you, when a prayer need is exposed to you, you are ready to pray for it right then and there. Now, when I pray in my specific time, I pray in four specific areas. The reason I do this is because I'm very ADD. And if I follow this outline that I have, it helps me stay on task as I pray. And for me, those four areas are praise, repentance, asking, and yielding. I start off my prayer time by praising God for who he is and what he has done for me. When I praise God for who he is, I am praising God because he is the creator of all. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is full of mercy and he is full of grace. He is full of forgiveness. I am praising him for his attributes. When I praise God for what he has done, I am thanking him 
for his blessings in my life. For me, I thank him for my health, that I was able to get out of bed in the morning. I thank him that I am able to walk and enjoy creation. I thank him for my, my wife. I thank him for a church that I am able to pastor. I, I, I thank him for all of these different blessings that he has bestowed upon me. And then I repent. In other words, I confess my sins to God. And I do that every time. Now, when I go into this spirit of confession, what I do is I ask God to search me and know my heart and see if there is any wickedness within me. And here's the reason why. There are some days that I don't feel like I've been a jerk. There are some days that I don't feel like I've had a a bad thought. There are some days that, you know, I didn't feel like cussing someone out in traffic. You know, there are some days that, that I haven't really had something that is fresh on my mind that I need to say, okay, God, I blew it, forgive me. But during those seasons, I go before God and say, God, search me. Is there anything in my life that is displeasing to you? And I ask God to show me those things. And so we praise God for who he is, what he's done. We repent. We ask him to show us sin so that we can get right. And then we ask. We ask God to meet needs. Now, to be honest with you, I spend very little time in my prayer time asking for my needs. And it, it isn't that... that I don't think God is concerned about my needs. It's just that, man, at this stage of my life, I feel so blessed. And when I think about my needs, I mean, I've got a knee that the orthopedic surgeon told me he can give me a new knee. He'll do that this year if I'm ready for him to do it. I've got another knee that I don't have an ACL in it. Had the MRI done, and the doctor said, when did you hurt your knee? I said, I'm not sure. Why? He said, well... Your ACL is completely gone in that knee. But I don't spend a whole lot of time saying, okay, God, give me new knees. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. It's just that in the scheme of things, for where I'm at in my life, I'm more concerned about asking God for others than I am for taking away a little bit of discomfort in my life. And so what do I do when I ask God to be with others? Here's how I pray. I start off praying for my family. And I begin with my wife. I ask God to, to keep her pure. I ask God to keep her safe. I ask God to bless her life. And I go through and I intercede for my wife. There are specific things that I pray for her for. Then I go to my children, and I pray for Jonathan and Christy, my oldest, and his wife. And I ask God to bless their ministry, bless their marriage, and, and I pray specific things. And then I pray for their children, Graceland and Azariah and Aria, a little two-year-old that they have legal custody of. And as I'm praying for my grandchildren and, and Aria, I'm praying that God would, would help them grow physically healthy, I'm asking that God would keep them mentally and emotionally healthy. I'm asking God that God would protect them spiritually and that, that at an early age they will come to know Jesus in a real way and they will love him with all of their heart. 
And I go through each of my children and I'm praying for that. And so you pray for needs, for your family. Once I pray for my family, then I pray for our staff. I pray for our staff and their families by name pretty much every day. I'll pray for Scott and Tracy Creed and their kids Jessica and Garrett. And Jessica's, Jessica's about to graduate from college and she's you know, into that point where she's looking for that job that God wants her to do. And I'm praying that God to give them wisdom. I pray for Steve and Karen and, and their kids by name and specific needs. I, I pray for David and Lori and their kids by name. I, I pray for Travis and Andrea and their kids. I pray through our staff, for Robbie and Holly and, and all of our staff. And I pray for their needs. And then after I pray for their needs, and by the way, let me go back to this. Because as I'm praying for my family, after I've prayed for my, my kids and my grandkids, I pray for my parents. I pray for Sherry's parents. I pray for my brother and his kids and my wife's sister and her kids. You say, why do you spend time doing that? Because prayer changes things. That's why. After I pray for our staff, I begin praying for specific needs in our church family. You say, Rocky, do you pray for me every day? Well, no, I don't pray for you every day. And it's not because I, I don't want to. It's because, goodness gracious, I, I really would be in prayer pretty much all day. We're praying for everybody. But there are some of our church family who have confided in me about things going on in their life. And those who have confided in me about things that are going on in their life, I am bringing those things to the throne of God every single day. I'm asking God to intercede and intervene. I'm asking God to heal. I'm asking God to convict, whatever that may be. And then I pray for our nation. I pray for our president and our elected officials. I pray for revival in our land. Then I pray for our missionaries. I pray for Devaraju, our church planner in India. I pray for the UCs that are going to be with us in about a month. I pray for the Suttons. I pray for each of our missionaries by name and unreached people groups. And then I start praying for other needs. Now, why do I do that? Because the Bible says pray for one another. This is serious stuff. It's not just something that we do to check off a box. It's not just some exercise we're going through because God says we do it. No, prayer changes things. Prayer takes us into the presence of God and prayer unleashes the power of God. Listen, listen to me. God doesn't move in response to need. If he did, there wouldn't be any needs. God moves in response to prayer. That's why it's so important for us to pray. And so we praise God, we repent, we ask, and that's where we spend our time interceding for people. And then we yield to God. Now, James gives us four specific examples of, of when we should pray. And he says when someone is suffering hardships, we should pray. That word hardship or trouble there literally means to, to suffer misfortune or distress. It, it can describe times of internal distress brought on by, by external circumstances in our life. 
These hardships could be financial, they could be relational, they could be work-related. The fact of the matter is, Christians are going to have their share of hardships. The Bible says that Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, you will have hardship. You see, the question isn't, are you and I going to face hardships and troubles? The question is, when we face them, are we going to grumble and complain? Are we going to indulge in self-pity and worry? Or are we going to pray? Now, let me point something out. Prayer doesn't assure that the trouble will go away. But what prayer does is it assures us that God's going to be with us in the midst of our trouble. And can I tell you something? When you experience the presence of God in a powerful way, the trouble you're facing, no matter how difficult it may be, begins to wither. (laughs) Because you're so overwhelmed by the presence of God. So we pray for people when they're facing hardships. We pray for people when they're experiencing joy. That's what it says here. We we pray for one another, not just in hardships or trouble, but we pray for people when when they're on the mountaintop, not just when they're in the valley. You see, when times are going good, oftentimes we forget God, don't we? I mean, when times are, are bad, man, we're just crying out to God, and if God doesn't answer immediately, we fuss at him, but... When everything's going our way, we kind of forget about God until the next season of hardship comes. And yet the Bible says that when we are experiencing joy and happiness, we need to sing songs of praise to God. Now, for some of you who are musical, you can do that in an incredible way as you pray. I mean, you can go into your prayer time and you can just sing. For others of you like myself... God would rather you just speak. And so what we do is we we get those attributes of God and we just praise him for who he is. That's what we do when we sing these songs of praise to him. And, And can I tell you, praising God changes things. Again, it doesn't always change your circumstances, but it changes who you are. I I I love Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, David is in a pit. And historians are, are conflicted about what was going on in David's life at this time. But David, David says in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me? Forever? How long are you going to turn your back on me until I sleep the sleep of death? How long are you going to let my enemies overwhelm me? David wasn't in a very good place. And yet, this is what David said in the next words. He said, yet, I will trust in you. I will sing praises to your name. You see, when we go to the Lord praising him, rejoicing, it does something. And so as we pray for people, we don't just mourn when they mourn. We rejoice when they rejoice. So we pray for people when there's hardships. We pray for people when there's joy. We pray for people when there's sickness. That's what he said in in those next verses. He said, if any of you are sick, 
You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Now, this verse right here has caused a lot of confusion in a lot of people. And so, though we don't have time to jump into it and delve into it in detail, let me just give you a a couple of assumptions if I can, okay? First of all, this assumes that believers get sick. Would you agree with that? He's saying, if you're sick, what are you supposed to do? So this assumes that you're going to get sick. Listen very carefully. There are some that will tell you that if you have enough faith, if you love Jesus enough, you're not going to get sick. I I had a roommate in seminary that was from a different perspective than I was who said that if you believe God and trusted God, then you're never going to get sick. And I said, so what happens when you die? He said, well, you die healthy. I said, nobody dies healthy. (laughs) You die because you're not healthy anymore. Understand, we live in a fallen world. And we live in decaying bodies. And our bodies are going to eventually give out. And some people will say, well, you don't die of sickness, you die of old age. Nobody dies of old age. You die because something isn't working. It may be your heart. It may be your lungs. It may be your liver. It might be your brain. I don't know. But you die because something is no longer working the way it was created to work. That's sickness. And so this passage assumes that believers will get sick. Second. It assumes that when people get sick, we should pray. It says, call for the elders of the church. Now, this is specific right here. This is saying when you get sick and you want someone to pray for you about that sickness, you need to take the initiative. Did you hear me? And so if there's a sickness in your life that you want other people to pray for, you need to take the initiative. Now, that doesn't mean that If I find out you're sick and I pray for you, I'm sinning, I'm not. It's just saying that you need to take the initiative. And it says when you're sick, you call for the elders of the church. Now, who are the elders of the church? The elders of the church are the pastors, right? The elders are the pastors. And so this is assuming that you're a part of a church. And so understand, it is vital It is vital if we're going to do these one another's that we are actively engaged and involved and participating in a local church. And so when you get sick, call for the elders of the church. They will anoint you with oil. You say, Rocky, will you anoint me with oil? Yeah. WD-40, 1040, (laughs) olive oil, whatever. The point here, listen, I have oil in my office. I'm not making fun. The point is, it's nothing supernatural about the oil. And some people say this oil is speaking about the modern medicines of the day. Others say no. To be honest with you, we can't know. But what you need to understand is there's nothing supernatural about the oil. The anointing with oil is the step of faith. It's saying, God, I'm turning this sickness over to you. And I'm trusting you. And then notice what it says. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Praise God. God heals. Amen. He heals today. 
Now, if you want to pray for my knees, for God to give me new knees without surgery, I'll be happy for you to do that. (laughs) Start it today. But I'm not going to petition you to do that. But hear me. If if I get cancer, I'm going to say, pray for God to heal me. I mean, I'm ready to go to heaven, but I'm not ready to take the next bus. And it's not because heaven isn't a wonderful place. It's a great place. I'm really excited about the possibility of experiencing the presence of God. It's just that, man, I really want to see my grandkids grow up a little bit. And Sherry and I, we're getting closer to retirement. And i got to tell you, I mean, I'd get bummed out to know I'm getting close to retirement and then die. I mean, that'd stink, wouldn't it? I mean, two years out. Now I'm going to die. My wife's going to enjoy all that retirement money. (laughs) Go for it, babe. (laughs) The point is, the point is, if I get sick, a sickness unto death, I want you to pray for me. I want you to anoint me with oil. I want you to do everything you can to petition God to heal me. But here's the deal. Sooner or later, I'm going to die. Sooner or later, you're going to die. And for those of us who are believers, you know what we know? We've ultimately been healed. Because there'll be no more sickness, no suffering, no sorrow or pain. Death will be destroyed and disappear. Amen? And so we pray for people who are in hardship. We pray for people who are experiencing joy. We pray for people who are sick. And we pray for people who are caught up in sin. And to be honest with you, I spend a lot of time doing this. Get a little bit transparent. Some of y'all that know me know this, but I have a I have a son that, that isn't living for the Lord. And and any of you who love Jesus, who have a child that's not living for the Lord, you understand that that's the most painful thing in the world. And you feel helpless. You want to rescue them. You want to deliver them. You want, you want them to live in the light of God's grace and mercy. You want them to experience the purpose he's created them for, and yet they're not. And so every day I'm praying for this son of mine that he will be convicted of sin and his need for righteousness that comes from Jesus and that there is a judgment. I pray that the blinders will come off of his eyes and he will see that that the joys and happinesses of this world will never fully satisfy. And I'm praying these things. Why? Because in the end, hear me, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but take joy, Jesus has overcome the world. In this world, we celebrate with others as they're experiencing joys because we do that as a family. In this world, we pray for those who are sick and we trust God for healing. But ultimately, we know that death is around the corner for each and every one of us. But here's the thing. If people are caught up in sin, they're never, ever going to experience life the way God created them to. And so even though all of these other things are important for us to pray for, We should spend a lot of time praying for those who are caught up in sin. Now, those are four things that James gives us that that we should pray for other people for and for ourselves. But 
But that's not an exhaustive list. James has just given us an example. I want you to listen to what Paul said in Philippians 1. This was Paul's prayer. Listen to it. He said, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live in peace and and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 9 and following, listen to what Paul prays. He says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We, we asked God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you'll grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Here's the point. We're to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're to pray for them about every issue of their life. And so my question for you is this. Are you spending time praying for the family? Here's the second question James addresses. What kind of person can pray? And the answer is prayers for regular people people just like us verse 17 tells us that Elijah was a man just like us I'm afraid all too often we have this idea when we read the Bible and we see the exploits of these men and women of faith we think that these were some kind of spiritual superheroes that were jacked up on spiritual steroids and we think to ourselves I could never do the things that they did I could never make the difference that they made. And yet it says right here that Elijah was a man just like us. He was a regular guy. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You can take requests to the throne of God as passionately and as powerfully as anybody else. Elijah prayed for three and a half years and it didn't rain. He prayed again and the heavens opened and the grounds produced crops. He prayed and fire fell down from heaven. And yet Elijah was a man just like us. Who can pray? Well, I can pray. You can pray. We all can pray just as effectively as James, just as effectively as Elijah, or anyone else that we read about in Scripture. But here's the final question we need to answer, and we're going to hit this in about two to three minutes. How can I pray effectively? Well, James answers that question in this book. I want to give you four things. First of all, if I want to pray effectively, I've got to ask. James chapter 4 verse 2, it says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? But the truth of the matter is, oftentimes the reason our prayers aren't answered is because we don't ask God. Remember, God doesn't move in response to need. God moves in response to prayer. 
Don't think just because you have a need, God's going to step in and meet that need. If he did, not a single believer would ever have a need. God moves in response to our prayers, so ask. Second, I must have the right motive. James 4, verse 3, when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. Why am I asking God for my quest? Is it because I really have this need or is it a selfish request that I'm asking of God? There are times in my life that I've gone before the throne of God asking God for something and I had to take that request off the table because I realized that it's kind of selfish. So check your motives. Here's what I know. If your prayers are most often directed toward the needs of other people, they're not going to be selfish. If your prayers most often are directed to what you need, there's a good chance that you're praying a lot of selfish prayers. So ask God about your motives. Third, I must pray from a position of righteousness. James chapter 5, verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let me say that again. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You see, if I'm going to have an effective prayer life, a powerful prayer life, I've got to pray from a position of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that my righteousness is but filthy rags. The Bible says there is nothing righteous within me on my own. And so if I'm going to God in my own righteousness, I am never putting myself in a position where God's going to answer my prayers. I need positional righteousness. And the only way I get that is to go to Jesus And let his righteousness be added to my account. In other words, I have to humble myself before God. Acknowledge my sin. Acknowledge my lack of righteousness. My need for a savior. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave for my sin. You say, Rocky, are you saying that God doesn't hear the prayers of non-believers? What I'm saying is God can do whatever God wants to do. But God has said... That God answers the prayers of his children. Those who know him. Now sometimes God reigns on the just and the unjust. Sometimes God pours out his blessings on the good and the bad. God can do whatever God wants to do. But understand. If I am in Walmart. And I hear a little child call my name next week. And they bring me a toy. And they want that toy. If it's Matt Clary's children, I'm going to say, you got a wonderful dad. Go to him and ask him. <laughs> I'm sure he wants to buy that. But if it's Noah or Asher who are going to be with us this week, I'm going to come here, baby. <laughs> Poppy's got this. Because they're my kids. So we have to have that positional righteousness, but then there's the practical righteousness. 
I've got to be living a righteous life. David and Isaiah both dealt with this. David said, if I had sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. In other words, if I'm living with unconfessed sin in my life, it will keep God from hearing. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 59. He said, your sins have separated you from God so that he will not hear you. That's not me. That's God. So we've got to ask. We've got to ask with the right motives. We've got to ask from a position of righteousness. And then we have to ask in faith. James chapter 1 verse 6 says, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Now what is faith? Listen to me. Faith is not believing God can. Faith is believing God will. I mean, if you believe in the God of the Bible, you've got to believe that he can do anything. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to believe that. All you've got to do is look at creation and come to the perspective that there is a creator. And then you've got to believe that that creator can do anything. So, I mean, he can do anything. Faith isn't believing God can. Faith is believing God will. And sometimes that's tough, isn't it? I mean, like David. Sherry and I are reading through Psalms right now. And the other day, I think it was yesterday, might have been yesterday, it may have been Friday, but we read Psalm 23 through 30. And what was funny, wasn't funny, it was just a crazy observation, is in one chapter, David would just be praising God because he answers our request. The very next chapter, David would say, God, why don't you answer my request? Here's David, a man after God's own heart, who struggles with that. Have you ever struggled with that? I mean, where you've asked God for something, you've asked God for something, you've asked God for something, and just felt like God was a thousand miles away and not listening. Have you ever done that? I have. So what do you do? Well, until God tells you, child, you're praying the wrong thing, I'm never going to give you that. And God can tell you that. God can tell you, you're not praying according to my perfect will for your life. I'm not going to give you that. It will hurt you or create pain for you. No, I'm not going to do it. And God will speak to you at times and tell you that. And that's when you say, okay, God, I'm taking that one off the table. But until God shows you to quit praying for something, you pray and believe. Who but knows that your breakthrough is right around the next corner? And you stop praying right before you got to the corner. You've got to pray in faith, believing not only that God can, but until God tells you otherwise, you've got to pray in faith, believing that he will. Don't give up. Trust him. Praise him even when you don't see. And that's what we're to do for one another. We're to pray for one another. Another. And if prayer puts us into the presence of God, who of us wouldn't want to pray? And if prayer connects us with the power of God, who of us wouldn't want to pray for people we love and care for? Pray for one another. Oh, dear friend, make it a habit. Pray for one another. 
That's why you're in your life groups. So you can build these relationships, so you can get into one another's lives, so you can better know how to pray for one another. Praying for one another will change everything. When you pray for one another, you'll enter into their shoes and you'll begin to have empathy and compassion for them. When you're praying for one another, you'll begin to be burdened for the things that they're burdened for. Pray for one another. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. With your head bowed with your eyes closed. Here's the bottom line. We just got to do it. But here's the fact. As I said, there's some of us here today who may not be in that position of righteousness. We've never humbled ourselves before God, acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin to Him, trusting Christ alone to be the payment for our sin, giving our life to Him. And if you haven't done that, I'm here to tell you, you can pray to your blue in the faith, but it's not going to accomplish anything. And so if you're here today and you realize I need Jesus, not so that my prayers can be answered, I need Jesus. And when I've got him, my prayers will be answered. That's where you're at and you want to give your life to Jesus. Then I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you today humbly acknowledging my sin. Oh, forgive me. So tired of living in rebellion. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. I'm giving my life to you today. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus. You promised to hear this prayer offered at faith. Amen.